Welcome. We are so glad you have joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Thanks, Joey. Joey? Jojo? <laughs> um, how is it tonight? It's starting off to be really good tonight. Wow. Wow, Trav, that's awesome. Okay, my friend doesn't want to go that way. Okay, so when I was told that we were, spe- um, that we're speaking on perspective, I was like, mm, what is perspective to me and how can I um, put it towards you as that I understand it all sort of thing? <laughs> so if, um, if I can have that little picture first. So um, a little story popped up in my head, um, which the moon, we all know the moon. So um, last year I was with a friend and it was full moon. And ever since I was young, I could always see a bunny in the moon, if people can see that. So, um, so yeah, so I was like, oh, look, there's a bunny, there's a bunny, yay, look at my bunny, sort of thing. And my friend's like, no, it's not a bunny, all I see is cheese. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, there's clearly a bunny, there's ears, there's a bunny nose, but nah, it's a cheese. So perspective to me is what do you see? Do you see a bunny? Or do you see cheese? <laughs> so in 1 Samuel 16, 7. 16, 7. Is it up? It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, this story is how Samuel saw Elab, David's oldest brother. Now, David's oldest brother was surely the pick because he was so much taller, so much stronger, and he was the oldest, of course. Um, and Samuel thought, yeah, for sure, he's the anointed one, for sure, you know, like, without a doubt. But that's when God used that verse saying, nah, don't look at the outward period, but look at what's in the heart. So Samuel, poor Samuel, didn't understand that it was actually David, the smallest and the youngest one that was going to be the next king over Israel. So just like the story, there are plenty more within the Bible showing us the different perspectives within how we see it compared to what God sees it. I've picked four stories. So the first story is when the disciples and Jesus was out cruising within the boat when suddenly out of the blue a massive terrifying storm was ahead of them. Disciples were freaking out with fear that they were going to lose their lives. This was their perspective. The way that they saw their situation while all this was happening, Jesus was sleeping in the boat. Jesus was awakened by the disciples leaving Jesus to speak to the storm in order to calm down the disciples and calm down the storm. Jesus' perspective was authority, power within your words to even calm the raging storms and peace to us for to us even when we're in the middle of the storm. In Romans 8.31, um, it says, What then shall we say to the, all these things if God is for us? Who can be successful against us? The second story is when the lady was caught in adultery and was brought out um, by the high priest, accusing and demanding judgment for our punishment, really, for her act. 
Their perspective was judgment and the normality. It's what they do. It's what's been happening, so why change it? It's okay to pass judgment when it isn't you that is being judged. Jesus, however, saw their, her brokenness, the emptiness, grace, and love, seeing what this lady can be when set free, not what, is, what she is now out of hopelessness. The third story is Noah, the entrepreneur. Well, that's what I think he is a little bit. That's my perspective. Going ahead, building the so-called boat that God told him to, not knowing or even seeing what a boat looked like as it hasn't rained for over 100 years. Everyone else's perspective on Noah was that he had lost his mind, that he was wasting his time in building the boat when there was clearly no rain to fall or hasn't ever been over decades, let alone a flood to come. Noah saw something else, what he saw, he knew where it came from and could sh- couldn't shake it. Noah had a revelation from God, a visionary, seeing things way before anyone else can or even understand them before they are revealed or in full motion of it. Noah was also focused and determined to see it finished no matter what everyone was saying. Philippians 3:13 to 14. Brother and sister, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the last one, church, is Abraham. Abraham was waiting and waiting and waiting some more for the blessing to come to pass, where he could become a dad, to share that, that joy of parentinghood with his wife. Sarah's perspective was very different to her husband. Her hope was very little, in fact, perhaps even gone after waiting so long. For the promise to come to pass, lack of faith on God's word and doubt that what was spoken to Abraham for them to be parents would never happen due to their well beyond years to conceive. On the opposite, Abraham's perspective was trust, knowing that God means what he says, that his word does not return void, Certainty that it will happen when and I'm confident in knowing who God is. Perspective is what shapes how we feel, see and deal with the situations. We can see through eyes of fear, doubt, limitation and even hopelessness. Or we can choose to see with what God sees in us, through us and around us. Have a great night, church. Told you, power. Just every word, you just take it in. That was awesome, Stacey. Drum roll, please. Next amazing, awesome speaker, we have Andy Savasia. Jump up, Andy. Thanks, Joe. Hello, church. Um, Going to start out with a little confession. I'm extremely nervous. <laughs> um, you'd think being a pastor's kid, this is something I would have done before now, but I haven't. Um, so, you know, this is the first time for everything. <laughs> so, um, that was a story to kind of break the ice. And I really wanted a story about my brother Trevor. Um, 
<laughs> but God's got a sense of humor, so he gave me a story about myself. <laughs> so um, about a month ago, when the song, we've sung it in church here, the song Raise a Hallelujah came out. Um, I listened to it when it first came out. I, I liked it, so I downloaded it. Been singing along to it, like top of your lungs, singing, worshiping, praising God. <laughs> and then um, two weeks ago at church in the morning, we started singing it at church. Um, it came up to the chorus, and the words came up on the screen. And I realized I'd been singing the wrong words to the song. So, <laughs> so where it says, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, louder and louder you're going to hear my praises roar, which makes sense, like the two lines go together, you know. Um, I had been singing, I go to sleep in the middle of the storm. <laughs> <laughs> which, which leads into my story because it's about Jesus sleeping in a storm. <laughs> um, so in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, it says, Later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. After they'd sent the crowd away, they shoved off from the shore with him as he had been teaching from the boat, and there were other boats that sailed with them. Suddenly, as they were crossing the lake, a ferocious tempest arose, with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat until it was all but swamped. But Jesus was resting on a cushion, so they shook him awake, saying, Teacher, don't you care that we are all about to die? Fully awake, he rebuked the storm um, and shouted at the sea, saying, Hush, calm down. All at once, the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. Then he turned to his disciples and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Haven't you learned to trust yet? But they were overwhelmed with fear and awe and said to one another, Who is this man who has such authority? Now, the first thing that really jumped out at me from this, this passage um, was that there were two perspectives on the storm, on the situation. The first perspective we see was the disciples, was man's perspective. A ferocious storm was about swamping their boat. They were scared for their lives as they thought they were about to sink or capsize. Remember that some of the disciples were actually previously fishermen, and I'm sure they'd been a storm or two in their time. Um, I have yet to meet a fisherman that hasn't been out in a storm. <laughs> um, their perspective on it was a great storm that would likely kill them and they were consumed with fear. The second perspective we see was Jesus' perspective. Jesus was in the exact same boat, yet he was on a storm that was raging on, but instead of screaming, he was asleep. Jesus was in a place of peace. You have to be pretty calm in order to be sleeping. <laughs> now, in this story, it's interesting to note that from man's, from man's perspective, there was a ferocious storm that could sink the boat, but when we flip it to God's perspective, we find peace no matter the circumstance. It was like flipping a switch between the two. You have the disciples afraid for their lives. You flip it to Jesus asleep. The only difference in the two situations was one knew who controlled the weather and the others didn't, yet. 
Jesus knew who had authority over the winds and waves. It was him. He knew that they didn't have control, so they could only focus on the storm. What these two perspectives show us is that man's perspective, our perspective, comes from a knowledge of the circumstance. We look at the facts that we can see in order to be able to see from God's perspective. Jesus stood up and told the storm to calm down, and it did. The disciples were then awestruck by his authority and power. The disciples knew Jesus had come to seek and save, but they hadn't had a full revelation of his power. They had knowledge of God's truth in their lives, but until they had the revelation, they couldn't see from God's perspective. Knowledge plus revelation leads to God's perspective. Likewise, in our lives, we sometimes face situations um, or storms that are beyond, yet we try to control them with our limited view of this situation. But if we, like the disciples, go to Jesus in the middle of our situation and ask him to reveal to us, we can gain perspective from God and he will guide us. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I find it amazing that our God has such authority and power that he is able to help us in ways we can't even think of. As easy as it was to think the disciples should have known better, they had seen Jesus heal people, they'd seen him perform miracles, they should have known about his power. We can't really think that we would have reacted any better. When the storm was raging and they were scared, what was their first reaction? Their first reaction was to pray. They took it straight to Jesus. Um, And they begged him to save him, and he did. Often when we face a problem, we try to fix it from our perspective first, and when we fail or make it worse, (laughs) then we take it to God in prayer. And say, fix my mistake. The disciples may have needed to trust Jesus more, at least they trusted him enough to go to him first. God's perspective changes our circumstances. What I mean is once we see a circumstance from God's perspective, we will often find it wasn't what we thought it looked like at all, and it will change our point of view, which gives us a fresh perspective on our circumstance. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we live by faith, not by sight. I like to think of this as we live from God's perspective, not from our perspective. It's not what we can see that we should be living, but rather who our trust is in. Is our trust in ourselves what we can see with our own eyes? Or is our trust in God and what he sees? Which he may not always share his vision with us, but he will at least guide us from his perspective if we put our trust in him. So to sum it all up, we need to remember that in every situation or storm we're facing, there are two perspectives, God's and man's. These two are like a light switch. Man's perspective is being in the dark, um, but when we pray and we get God's perspective, we flip that switch and we can see it from God's perspective. Um, second is our first reaction should be to pray. When we pray, remember that we are praying to a God of authority and he can answer our prayer in ways we can't even think of. 
So just take it to him and leave it there. Lastly, remember God's perspective will change our point of view on the storms we are facing and give us peace in that storm as long as we keep trusting him. Because we live from God's perspective, not from my perspective. So next time you find yourself in a storm, the appropriate reactions may be to sleep or to sing, but it should never be to scream. Thank you. Andy, you're a natural. Come on, Pastor Andy. There we go. That's it. Yeah, come on. So... We're up to our third and final, but by no means least, preacher tonight. His name is Matthew Ironside. Come up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tell you what, I've just been set up on a downhill stretch from here for sure. I just want to say one thing, pulpit. Um, this, this poor pulpit has copped more abuse than the Apostle Paul, so I'm going to leave it alone a little bit tonight. Just joking, it's a joke. That's an icebreaker for you guys. Come on. We can laugh in church, can't we? <laughs> it's a bit of awkward silence there for us. I'm just going to jump straight in uh, with my uh, passage here, which is Mark 5, 21 to 43, which is a, quite a big slab of passage, but I kind of need all of it to uh, give us contrast on, what, on what's going on. So um, I'm going to just jump straight in with that. All right, you guys can read it along. Can I just say something quickly? You know, if you take notes, did you know it's like a quick pass to heaven? <laughs> you rock up to the pearly gates and, and, and they go, where's your notes? I've got them right here, straight in. I'm just checking if you're paying attention as well. All right, here we go. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd surrounded, gathered around him <clears throat> while he was by the lake. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came to him, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So as Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched him, touched his cloak, because she thought, I've lost where I was, what's going on here? That's right, my iPad just had a, just had a moment. Verse 28, that's right, I'm just going to go here. Because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. For some reason, I'll just read it off here. Here we go. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt it in her body that she freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples' answers, and you're going to come up in here and say, who touched me? But Jesus looked around to see who had done it. Then came, happened to her, came and fell at the feet of Jesus, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, 
um, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they say. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but just asleep. But they laughed at him. (laughs) (laughs) After he put them all out, he took the the child's father and mother and the disciples with him, They were with him and went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithukum, which means little girl, I said to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave them strict instructions not to let him know about this and told them, go down to Macca's and get this chick some chicken nuggets. (laughs) All right. Now... Uh, Bayside family, um, in all honest um, sermon prep disclosure, I almost called this message, get up. Because who knows that's a good sermon title, like, come on, I could preach that, you know, get up, get up, you got to speak to it, get up, come on, come on. But on second um, reflection, or a new perception per se, I actually felt to call this one, get out. Um, because it's because of verse 40 um, where Jesus hears, hears this commotion and says, what's going on? Um, all the commotion, why are you crying? Like they already started the funeral in this place, had the worship music playing. And he and said, what's going on? This girl isn't dead. She's just asleep. And they laughed at him, <laughs> laughing at Jesus. So he just said, that's enough. You all got to get out. Because who knows, sometimes there's some people or some stuff and situations in your life that are messing up the atmosphere in the environment for the supernatural to occur. So I'm just telling you right now, you've got to change your perception properly, possibly in your situation that you're in from telling something to get up to telling some things to get out. Woo! Come on, I'm excited. See, I don't want to uh, mess up your theology or Christology because... Uh, because you think that Jesus is just a good, good father. I mean, we sing it all the time. He's a good, good father. But don't get it twisted. <laughs> this bit of passage reminds us that Jesus is so, so gangster. Come on, because he's telling these people to get out. He's like, you have to get out of here, get out of this situation, because there's no room for any negative stuff to happen in this place. Come on, church. Ooh, get out. Just touch your neighbor and tell him the sermon title. Get out. Get out. Come on. Say it with some conviction. Get out. Um, now, there's, there's something about this passage, and Mark really wants us to, to grab a hold of it, and is that the, the two characters, Jairus and this woman, are connected. They're so connected. Oh, so connected. See, I think, I think we, um, we think that sometimes our lives are parallel lines but rather they're links like we're connected everything we do is affecting someone else our testimony is affecting someone else's testimony um and do you ever have that family mom member that's just like don't worry about me don't worry about me do you and i'll do me you do you and i'll do me and you just want to tell them well you doing you is affecting me (laughs) 
because we're all connected. Come on. So this is how much they're connected. I mean, and this is a perspective thing again. They're not connected on the surface. I mean, come on, somebody. Um, Let's just start with basic biology. Jairus is a man. She is a woman. Jairus is named in this text. We don't even know this woman's name. Jairus has a family and people around him, but this woman stands alone. Jairus is loaded. He's got some money in the bank. But this woman is broke, busted, and disgusted and has been discarded by her humanity in this place. Like in, in her time, she'd been cast out because she'd been, um, been uh, uh, titled as unclean in that place. But, but what I want you to look is, is a little bit deeper. See, isn't it funny how life can slap us up the side of the head with some stuff in a situation that our money can't fix, you know, our friends can't fix, our job can't fix, our cars can't fix, our houses can't fix, the position we're in can't fix. And, and you know, when you get in that spot, you get desperate. And who knows that's a job for Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's happened to both Jairus and this woman. They've got desperate. See, I just love that the fact that neither of these people had a, had a, you know, a straight line with rose petals to Jesus. They had to both push through crowd. They said there was a crowd around them that they had to push through <clears throat> to get to Jesus. Come on. So what I'm saying is that they're connected. And, and Mark wants us to, to understand this. And it's so much so it's, it's through their desperation because they're both found at the feet of Jesus. See, and, and, and this quote is so good. It says, desperation is a doorway that breakthrough walks through. And I think sometimes we, we think that we haven't got our miracle um, because we haven't got enough faith. And I don't, I don't believe that faith is the problem. The Bible says that we only need mustard seed faith. I think sometimes we haven't got downright desperate enough to see a move of God in this place in our lives. We need to get desperate. I mean, when you're desperate, we're going to talk about desperate. Desperate people do desperate things. When you're desperate... You'll worship God different. You'll come to church different. You'll be here before the doors open. You'll be here before the countdown starts. You'll sing real loud. <laughs> come on, you're not going to care what anyone thinks about you when you're dancing like me. You know, you'll, you'll mess up all your Mary Kay and Mac makeup because you're desperate <laughs> for God to do something in your life. Come on, somebody. Here's another thing. Mark wants us to know that these people are connected and he makes special note that both the girl and this woman in the story have a 12 connected to their path. See, see, Jairus has a daughter 12 years old. And this woman has a 12-year-old, 12-year-old disease. So chronologically, this, this Jairus' daughter was born 12 years earlier. And this woman contracted disease the same year. So cinematically, if we're speaking and the directors of, of Mark 5 also made This Is Us, <laughs> we would have a flashback from the, from the feet of Jesus saying 12 years earlier to a whole, And it would be Jairus and his wife walking out the doors um, in full joy of parenthood and possibly in that same hospital. And the same day is this woman that's just been diagnosed with a disease that is incurable. I mean, I think sometimes we get so so um, wrapped up in either our promise or our pain that sometimes we miss people around us. 
come on, we need, to, we need to be aware of what's happening. We need to be aware of people around us. But thank God that's where these two people have crossed. Can I go a little bit deeper with you about the 12? Do you mind a bit more detail? This is so good. You wait. You go. These two other people have just set me up, Andy and Stacey. <laughs> thank you, Lord. So the 12s. See, 12, oh, you're going to love this. 12 is a number that represents God's power and authority. Oh, isn't that good? Come on, you guys. That's so good. See, oh, I feel the presence of God in this place. Come on. See, 12 is a representation of God's power and more specifically God's authority. So let's, let's track it back. 12, 12. Um, remember Abraham in the Bible, he was named as a father in the faith because he had so much faith. But God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And we all know the song, Father Abraham and many sons. You're thick in it, far out. You know all the words. I know the start. But see, God promised him that, that he'd be the father of all nations. And, and that promise continued into Isaac, but it culminated in Jacob. And he had not one, not two, not five, not ten, but twelve sons. And those twelve boys, those twelve sons, ended up becoming the twelve tribes of Israel. And then we go a little bit further, and the high priests of that time, when they would go into the Holy of Holies or the, or the temple, they wouldn't, they wouldn't walk in wearing skinny jeans, but they'd actually walk in wearing a breastplate with 12 precious, precious gems on them, representing those 12 tribes of Israel, which is, which is standing for the power and the authority of God that they'd given to those people. All right, you guys are bored with the Old Testament. I'll jump forward. We're going to talk about our new high priest. At the age of 12, this is Jesus. He was found teaching in the synagogue. And those leaders awed at the, the authority that come out of a 12-year-old. Come on, somebody. What about when that 12-year-old turned 30 and he decided to turn this world upside down? He went to go pick his disciples, his roll dogs. You know, they were going to roam the earth. He went and he picked 12 dudes, 12 dudes. Come on. Uh, if it was me, I just would have picked 11. But Jesus said, come on, Judas, I need a hater too. Let's go. I'm glad you laughed at that. I worked along. Twelve guys, and he gave them power and authority to heal the sick and to preach the gospel to all the world. What's God trying to teach us through the twelves? It's what he's been trying to teach us this whole time, is that there's nothing in this world, no sickness, no withered hand, no dead daughter, no, no um, disease of bleeding. There's nothing in this world that doesn't come under the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Come on. He's trying to tell us that there's nothing, there's nothing that doesn't come out of the power. He's trying to make us aware of his authority. And we're going to flip it. We're going to flip it again. See, we think that I haven't got my, I haven't got my miracle. It's okay. Just haven't had enough faith. Haven't had enough faith enough for my, for my miracle. But I don't, I don't believe that it's, we don't have enough faith. I just don't think that we're aware that he's able to do he, we, sometimes I don't think we're aware of the authority and the power that he has. Yeah. See, I'm going to give you an example. See, Jairus, he got a house call from Jesus because that's what his awareness of God, his authority was. And, and this woman had a whole nother level of awareness of his authority because she said, I, I, I don't have time for a house call. Like, ain't nobody got time for that. 
I've, I've just got to touch his hem and I know I'll be healed. I mean, Andy talked about this before. And see, there's, there's people, these uh, the disciples in the boat, and they're in a hurricane. Some translations say they're, they're literally in a hurricane, in a hurricane people. And they're up in there just, Jesus, help! And Jesus is in there snoring in a hurricane. And he gets up all cool, calm and collected because he's got sovereign swag like that. And he says, peace, be still. And these disciples have got their jaws on the ground and they say, who is this man that has the authority over the wind and waves? And what Jesus said, Jesus said to them, he said, oh, you, have, you, you people of little faith. Their faith was little because they didn't have an awareness of his authority. An awareness of his authority, your faith can go to a whole nother level. Here's another little reference. All right, who knows their Bible? And there's a, uh, there's a, um, a uh, Roman soldier, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Listen, Jesus, I've got a sick child at, um, back at my house. I'm a man of authority and under authority. And when I say something, I don't follow someone to make sure they do it. All I need is a voice memo, Jesus. And I know I'll be healed. And Jesus awed at this man. Don't you think we need to take notice of what Jesus awes at? He said, I've never seen faith like this. Because he understood authority. Oh, come on, church. It's something that's so powerful about that. We've got to understand his authority. We need to flip it. Thank you for joining us. Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or on our social media pages at Bayside Christian Church.